Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. I'm really excited about today because over the next few weeks, um, we're going to take a little turn. We're going to stay in Acts, but what we've asked all of the teachers that are teaching over the next four weeks is to sort of pull a really important faith lesson about how do we walk all this out in our lives. I mean, the reality is over the last year, we've been journeying through Luke and now we're journeying through Acts, but the rubber hits the road when we have to figure out like, how do we do this in our lives? How do we walk this out in our lives? And, and so I'm gonna go back to a passage that we taught through just a few weeks ago because I think there's a really significant life lesson, especially for any of us that find ourselves in a moment where we're asking, God, what do you want me to do next? Like, what am I supposed to do with this one and only life you've given me? How, how, how do I walk that out? And it's two chapters back from where we've been. It's found in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. But if not, it's gonna come on the side screens. And you remember, this was taught just a few weeks ago, but dive in with me. It says this, after arresting him, this is Peter, um, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Folks, this is why we pray every single week, because like our prayers matter. It matters. And the Bible tells us this about Peter. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. I was thinking about that. Peter was sleeping. Now, if you look at this on the surface, is this at all your story? For real, think about it. Here's Peter, who had a pretty good gig going for him. He was a fisherman. He, he had boats and nets. He, he had a plan for his life. He put it all together, right? He started making a living, doing really well, and then Jesus showed up in his life. And Jesus said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you do something different? Now remember, this dude has had a plan his whole life. Jesus says, why don't you do something different? And, and I'm gonna make you fisher of men. This is gonna be amazing. And um, he says, yes. Fast forward to Acts chapter 12, and the dude is in prison. Anybody else feel like you started following Jesus and everything started to come undone? Anybody? Anybody ever start following Jesus and you wonder, why is it that everything seems to be coming undone? Now, if you don't know how this story ends and you're in Peter's shoes, if I'm in Peter's shoes, I can promise you the night before my trial, when everything seems to have gone to heck in a handbasket, I'm not sleeping. How many of you sleep that well anyway, right? I get one thought in my head and it starts to spin and spin. Anybody else? And I wake up and it's like one and then it's like two and then my brain is going. And here's Peter and he's sleeping. In the midst of absolutely what I would call utter turmoil. The man handed his life to God. He ends up in a prison and the night before it's all gonna go down, the dude's sleeping. How do you find peace like that? How, how ultimately 
do you do really four words? How do you let God do it? For real. Like if you think about the entire book of Acts, isn't the entire story in this book a bunch of ordinary people who just let God do it? No matter what happens, they just let God do it. And the question for us is, how do we do that? Because I've been on this planet long enough to know this is one of the greatest challenges life will ever give us. How do we let God do it? I was thinking, why is it for so many of us that just the idea of letting this all-powerful God do everything for us, why is this so hard for us? And I, I reflected back to like how life actually works. Now, I grew up in Granite City, Illinois. Um, Granite City is a steel mill town right outside of St. Louis. So for those of you who wonder why I have such a disdain for Chicago sports, it's because I grew up there, and that's what they trained us to do, right? They just trained us to hate the Cubs and, and not like the Bears, and, and I'm trying to get reformed. I'm working. I'm working. But I grew up like in the 80s when the St. Louis Cardinals were really good. And I, my dad, he took me to three World Series in 1982, in 1985, in 1987. Like these were formative years in my life. And, and I remember thinking back to those days, like when I was, I don't know, right around third or fourth grade. You remember third or fourth grade? You, you remember how awesome third and fourth grade was? Didn't it feel like anything was possible when you were in third and fourth grade? I mean, I really thought anything was possible. I was a huge St. Louis Cardinal fan, and every time I went to school and a teacher would say, what are you gonna be when you grew up? I was certain that I was gonna be a St. Louis Cardinal. I was certain. I mean, it didn't matter that I wasn't really that good at baseball, right? It's like, as a kid, you, you just have these thoughts about yourself, like, I could do that. Like, if you paint something, you're an artist. If you go to music class, you're a musician. If you happen to play baseball once, you're going to be a St. Louis Cardinal. There's something so wonderful about being a kid. And it's almost like when you hear Jesus talk about John 10, 10, right? When he said that there's a thief that comes to steal a bunch of stuff from us, but I came to give you abundant life. It's like kids sort of feel that, right? When you're in third and fourth grade, you go, of course. Yeah, man, life is going to be good. And then you get to junior high <laughs> and you realize, you start to realize, oh, life actually has disappointments. You get to high school and college and you start to realize that after that devastating breakup or the crushing job loss or abandonment or whatever that is, that life isn't as dreamy as you thought when you were in third and fourth grade, huh? I mean, we begin to become realist as we get older. That's what we call it. Where we look at life and we go, well, yeah, there's just things that I used to think were possible when I was a kid, but now I know are just impossible. Th those things just don't happen. Right? And what we find is that the longer we live on this earth, too often we start to determine what is impossible before we even know if it is possible. This becomes our disposition in life. And 
we begin to drift from this whole concept that God can even do anything. He can't do it, not for real. And so we do what good adults do. We start to carve out the plans for our lives, right? This is what we do. And, and, and this is how we get on in this world. We make some plans. Now listen, any planners in this place? How, how many planners do we have in the house? People who just love to make plans. How many? Some of us? Some, some of you others, it's like you haven't made a plan in your life. But the truth is, if you are in here, you all have been living by a plan. There is no random. When you go to school, there is a very specific plan you have to walk through. You can't just show up. You have to go through a certain set of courses. When you're done with those courses, what do you get? A diploma. Everybody gets it. It's the same thing. And then you take that diploma and what? You go somewhere else. Maybe you go to a trade school. Maybe you get a job. Maybe you go to college. Either way, you begin to put a plan in place. You can't just be a St. Louis Cardinal. You gotta go get a real job. And do a real thing. And so we put these plans into place and we start to carve out what we think our life is going to look like. Now, I just want to warn you, um, especially those of you that are coming around here, um, if you expect that following Jesus means that none of your plans will be interrupted, I'm sorry to tell you, that is not how it works. In fact, do not read that book because that book right there is littered with stories of perfectly good people who had perfectly good plans for their lives, trying to get on with it, who God is always interrupting them. I mean, seriously, it's like Noah goes, wait a minute, you, you said what about a boat, right? Moses is just kind of carrying on in the desert. And he's like, wait, you mean I have to go back and rescue my people? Esther's like, wait, you mean I've got to stop a genocide? Mary is um, like, what do you mean I'm pregnant? This is the story of our faith where God is consistently taking all these people who created these good plans for their life and he's consistently interrupting them. There's not a single story in the Bible that starts with, and then somebody had a really good plan right? This is what God seems to do. Even though most of our lives are spent sort of scheming and, and planning and trying to put stuff together. I, I, I love this verse where it says in Isaiah 26, three, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, not because they trust in a plan, but because they trust in you. One of the hardest things that we ever face in our life with letting God do it is the reality that oftentimes when we do, he interrupts what we planned. He interrupts it. Sometimes the hardest thing about letting God do it, whatever that it is, like lead you fully is not just the interruption, is that for some of us, God didn't interrupt the plan. It feels like he killed it. Anybody had a plan not interrupted but absolutely go up in dust? Anybody had a plan, a business, a relationship that went poof? 
Anybody have one of those happen after you started coming to church? And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I came to church. I listened to what you said. I gave my life to Jesus. I said, you can have it all. It seems like when I gave it to him, he took it, put it in a ball, and threw it in the trash. Anybody? Like, it's so challenging when we've had a plan not just interrupted, not just disrupted, but absolutely trampled, right? Where, where you say things like, um, well, I was supposed to be married by now. I was supposed to be graduated by now. I'm supposed to have my dreams come true and have kids by now, or, or, or worse, I wasn't supposed to get sick. I wasn't supposed to see my relationship fail, to lose my friends, to lose our business, to lose my job. The great challenge in our faith is when there is a death of a dream. When you've made a plan for your life where you've had something that you believed was going to be your path to purpose and all of a sudden you begin to release it to God and it goes away, it is the greatest challenge of our faith. Because we are trained to believe like, man, I should chart my course and make my plans. And, and we're also sometimes tempted to believe that Following Jesus is take my plan, give it to him, and he will just bless it. And if he doesn't bless it, he must not be with me. See, when you hear Lauren talk about that gap in faith, the reality is that if you're a human being and you've had disappointment, you've questioned God. You have. I have. When you've had disappointment happen in your life, something, a trauma that came your way, a dream get interrupted, a dream get exploded, let me tell you something. It is pretty natural to go, God, where are you? And the trauma from that makes it tough for us to trust him with other things, right? I know what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that in all things God works for good in those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But sometimes when we see our purposes get interrupted or wasted or thrown away, we question his purpose. Not understanding that those two things may not be the same. You know, I, I thought a lot about why is it that I, I don't let him do it? And the truth is, it isn't just the interruptions. Those are real. It's not just the disappointments. Those are real. The truth is, is that if I get real with you for a minute, sometimes what I don't like about God's plan is that it doesn't have me at the center of it. See, see the truth is, when you make plans, you make plans for who? Mostly for you. And even when you make plans for that person who's connected to you, a lot of times it's what can serve you. Come on, you, you know you do it. We all do it. We make plans for us. I'm not making plans for anybody else. Maybe my kids, sort of, but really just me. 
I'm making plans for my dreams, where I'm going, where I'm headed. You notice like the, the letter that's in the middle of my plans is I, it's me. I do this and so do you. And it's one of the biggest challenges we face when we let God do it because when you begin to realize what God's up to, you start to understand that while it's true in Ephesians 2.10 that you are God's masterpiece, you are. He created you anew. He loves you. He thinks you're amazing. We're tempted to leave the verse right there and be like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm great. I'm a masterpiece. He's gonna put me up on a gallery wall. I'm gonna make lots of money. People are gonna think I'm great. See, but the second part of the verse says, he created you anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned a long time ago. That he planned. The hardest, hardest part of letting God do it is Sometimes it appears that I'm not at the center of the plan that God has. He's interrupting plans. He's disrupting plans. He's ending plans. And then the plans he is creating, I'm not even the center of the attention. And that's hard. Listen to Rick Warren. He says this in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. I love this quote. He says, you know, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you wanna know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose, for his purpose. We live in this world that is consistently, especially here in the United States, in the Western world, talking about us and me, my dreams. And what we're tempted to do as followers of Jesus is actually conform to how everyone else maps out their life. We're, we're just trying to throw God as a cherry on top. It's like, let me make the Sunday. God, you put the cherry on top. And God's going, I'm not even in the Sunday business. I'm trying to cook up something totally different with your life. And you're like, I don't like that. I like Sundays. Please be the cherry. And you see, this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, think different. When God gets a hold of your life, of course it's going to be different than what you thought it was gonna be. Of course it's gonna be different than what you thought it would be. But we're so tempted because we have been trained to think like the rest of the world when it comes to our lives and how we achieve purpose. This is why the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. In other words, it, it's not these little plans that so much of my life has been preoccupied with. It's so much bigger and so much grand and so much different and I may not be the center of it. It's, it's the reason why I think it is so difficult for us to let God do it. Because the truth is, is that 
at least with my plan, I know where it's going. You, you ever felt that way? I remember this when, when I was in high school, and this is such a morbid way of, of seeing things, but I had this, this sort of idea that I would rather do myself wrong than have anybody else do wrong to me. Anybody ever had that sort of ideology where, where it's like, oh no, it's only you, pastor, you're messed up. But it used to be like, we, we used to have these rear-wheel drive cars where it had a hump in the back, remember those? Had a big hump right in the middle. And, and those were the worst seats. And when we would go out to get like chicken wings or, or, or food at college, we always rode in this same car and this fella had the, uh, this, one of those seats with the hump right in the middle and it's always the worst seat. And you know what I always did? when we were going out to the car and there'd be five of us, I'd always call middle seat back because I had this idea, well, I don't want you to put me middle seat back. I feel bad for you. I'll just do it myself. I'll just put myself in the middle seat back. I'd rather do myself wrong than have you do me wrong, right? Because at least it's my plan. I'd rather have a bad plan that's my plan than a good plan that's your plan. I didn't even make any sense, right? But, But oftentimes, this is how we treat God's plans in our life. It's like, I don't know what you're gonna do, Lord. You've been interrupting my plans. You've been canceling my plans. You may not put me at the center of my plans. I'd just rather go with my plans. I'll sit in the back in the middle. God's going, really? You, you do realize who I am? Mm-hmm. You would rather sit in the back middle than maybe ride somewhere with me that's miraculous? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because I know what the back middle feels like. And I don't have to worry about the back middle because that back middle is pretty safe. You understand that God wants to do something with you. But the question is, will you let him do it? Will it be scary? Absolutely. Reality is, is that I believe this to be true. If you're in this room, Proverbs 16, 9 says, in their hearts, human plan, they, they plan their course. You make your plans, you have your ideas, but it is the Lord that establishes your steps. Your steps have been ordered by God. They have. Your steps, righteous man, righteous woman, they have been ordered by God. That means that there is nothing that just happens. He ordered your time in the lion's den. But that also means he will order your time when you cross the Red Sea. It means he ordered your time threshing wheat or in the fiery furnace. But that also means that he has ordered your time feasting at the banquet table of your enemy. This is what he does. This is a God who is in heaven, who is in control. It's not about your skill or your talent or luck. It is all about God's plan and his will and his perfect timing in your life. And does that mean trust? You betcha it does. Does it mean release? Oh, it does. But it also means you will go places you would otherwise not be able to go. You have learned three things quickly as we close. 
And band, you can come out. Let me tell you something about what I've learned about letting go. Like if you choose to say, okay, I'm gonna put my plans on the back burner and I'm gonna let him do it. Here's three things you'll know. You'll know you're beginning to follow him. How do I know? Number one, when God, when you let God do it, number one, I will tell you, you'll see relationships in your life change. Count on it. The moment you truly start to let God do stuff in your life, do not be surprised if the people who got you here are not the people that go with you there. It's one of the most painful truths about a quest for your calling. That not everybody is gonna go with you as you go try to figure out what it is that God has for you as you let him lead. It is one of the great challenges, but it is also one of the great signs that you're following God. Your relationships will change. Some of the people that you've been riding with for a long time, they're not gonna ride with you when you're like, I'm gonna let God begin to lead me for real. I'm gonna let him do it. But I promise you this, he will align people with you that will help you pursue what it is that God has for you. He will do that. And even if you don't feel it now, better off, to be alone with God than without him and with many. Second thing, when you let God do it, the pain that you experience will always serve a greater purpose. Look, Jesus says what? In this life, we will have trouble. Following God, not following God, you have trouble. Here's what I know about letting God do it. All the pain, the trouble, the stuff that we experience, God uses it. Look, I think sometimes we get it a little bit messed up where we believe if I come to Jesus, I'm not gonna have any trouble. It's not gonna be rough. Oh, no, 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 that's not true at all. In fact, you might be like Peter. You come to Jesus and all he gets is trouble. Think about it. He was just floating around on a boat. That was pretty nice, catching fish. Since then, that dude's life's been a mess. He ended up in a prison. But guess what? Fellow was sleeping just fine. Right? He, he understood that when I let God do it, that he takes all of this, this pain, this trouble, and he uses it to forge me into the person he meant me to be. He will use this pain. He will use this turmoil. I love what the Apostle Paul says. Remember, he writes this from a prison cell too. In Philippians 1.6 when he says, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you and in me, subquote, he's gonna keep it going. He's gonna bring it to a flourishing finish. He's in prison. He said, oh, no, no, no. He'll use this prison time. He's gonna forge me into who he wants me to be. He wastes nothing. When you let God do it, listen, you may have some pain and you might have some stuff that come your way, but I can promise you this, when you let him do it, he uses it to shape you into the person he meant you to be for this journey. When you let God do it, your relationships might change. When you let God do it, he'll use the pain that comes in life, the storms, but this is the last piece. When you let God do it, you will find inner peace just like Peter.
If you've been struggling sleeping because you, you can't figure out your life, your plan, if you wake up and you're tossing and turning, here's what I can promise you. The God that rested Peter and the God that rested Paul is the same God today that will rest you. When you let him do it, you will find a peace that passes understanding. In spite of all of it, people will look at you and go, I don't even understand. But that dude sleeps. That lady sleeps. I love what the Apostle Paul says in in just a few verses later. He's almost like, hey, I'm going to continue to remind myself this reality of what happens when I let God do it. Because here's the truth about any time that you give yourself to God's plan, you will have second thoughts. You'll leave here today. You'll be like, I heard him. I'm in. He can have it all. And then I'll tell you Tuesday something's going to happen. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Then you find yourself in prison, metaphorically, hopefully. And you're like, I really don't know now. Look, the reality is you will have to reinforce this reality. He's got you. You can't see how it's all working. Just let him do what he's going to do. Stay with it. Just stay with it. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He doesn't got it all. He still isn't there. But this one thing I do, I'm going to forget what is behind me. I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. I'm going to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Listen. You are a child of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of His. That's who you are. This great God loves you. He created you. In Ephesians 2, 4, this God being rich in mercy because of that great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead to our trespasses. In other words, He knows where you came from. You think you're hiding it. He knows. He still loved you. This great God, no matter where you come from, how many goofy, messed up plans you've had, he loves you. And the question is, will you love him back and just let him do it? Just let the God of the universe on your behalf do it. Just let him do it. You know, it's as simple as a posture change. Most of us live our lives with our lives like this. Hands on the wheel, holding on for dear life. Don't let go, because if you let go, and the reality is, if you're ever going to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has for you, you're going to have to turn them over and open them up. And this is the most scary posture, especially for those of us who got plans. But if you do, you will experience life like you've never imagined. Will it be perfect? No. Will it be like your plan says it will be? Of course not. It will be different. But it will be in Him. And it will be exactly who you were made to be. Will you stand with me? 
we're gonna close in worship. Just one quick song. And, and you know, this is reality where these moments, they, they, they come to us and it's not like it's a one-time deal where we just sort of relinquish control of our lives and let God do it. it it's a consistent, constant. God, you can have it today. You can have it today, but I'm asking today. If there's been something you've been holding on to, maybe during this song, you just identify it in your mind and you let God do it.